Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'd always thought that the fact that I was the big girl, I'd kind of worn that identity, actually. I'd kind of felt it from other people. I'd felt it internally, but I kind of wore that, you know, the duff, the designated ugly fat friend, because I didn't really think I was worth very much. I want to talk about boobs. Sure. Because (laughs) I'm a big bestie lady, just like you. And I'm a 36 triple G. Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. Okay, so today's guest, I'm really looking forward to actually getting to know her, to understand her podcast and everything more. She's a broadcaster, a writer, a health and beauty expert, and she spent 10 years as the beauty editor of OK Magazine. She is a host of the popular health, lifestyle, and beauty podcast, The Emma Gunn Show, which is focused on living your best life. Now, we have a lot in common when it comes to our own wellness journeys, and I'm so excited to welcome to the show the fabulous Emma Guns. Hi, honey. Oh, Haley, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, first off, I will say, before I say, how are you doing? I like to check in with my guests, how they are right here, right now. If you were to check in with yourself, what would you find? It's a really good question, and it's a good question today because... I've already had this chat with myself after this, because we're uh, recording, uh, I'm in the UK, so we're recording in the evening. I know that what needs to happen immediately after this call, contact lenses out, makeup off, feet up. I've had one of those days. I just need to be horizontal for the rest of the evening whilst watching horizontal for the rest of the (laughs) evening I love that I love it's like contacts out um as somebody who doesn't wear contacts but wears glasses I feel like I can kind of understand what you mean by that (laughs) but yeah you have been so authentic vulnerable with your audiences about your mental health journey and specifically your struggles with body image and is something that I obviously speak so openly about when it comes to body image and self-image and self-acceptance I want to tap in first of you know what has your relationship journey been like what has it looked like and can you start sort of from the beginning Absolutely. And I think um if I know that you know this so deeply in your soul too it's almost as if the the roots of it start really early, but oh, it's yeah. not until you grow up. It's not until you have some life experience. So you probably see a therapist or two that you're able to really retrace the path and retrace the steps and see where things began. And I don't know about you, but for me, it kind of began, I would say around the age of nine. That's when I uh, went from being a cute kid to being a fat kid. And it's a really harsh lesson to learn because actually the thing you learn is that the world does treat you differently based on your looks Mm. and that was definitely my experience I knew that people used to comment on how cute I was before and then people would comment on is she going to be on a diet it was a very kind of uh it was a big shift 
and it was quite confronting. But I don't think I really realized that until a lot later once I started doing the work. But um, obviously for me, there were a few things at play. So um, there was emotional eating and there was also the very early onset of a hormone issue. So I have like one in five women around the world. I have or had at the time polycystic ovarian syndrome and I Mm. had quite severe symptoms. So from the age of around nine, it presented as weight gain. And then actually from about 11, in addition to the weight gain, it was also facial hair, excess body hair, really bad acne, hair loss. So there was a lot going on and there was a lot going on physically that meant that I kind of retreated emotionally and mentally because I don't don't know what your experience was, but did you ever have that time in your life where you didn't want people to see you? You'd be out in the world and you didn't actually want to be seen. I mean, I think that, like you said, I didn't categorize what I was dealing with or what I was feeling until I got older. And I can look back at the days that in which I had social anxiety, which I wouldn't have known that term back then, um, were moments where I wasn't secure with my own sense of self. And I just wanted to find something I could validate myself in, which was creativity. And I knew that if I stayed home from school, I could paint and I could, you know, do Mm. things that made me feel good rather than feeling fearful of how I look during that day. Um, I also have OCD tendencies. I know that before we started, you said OCD, and I'm sure that maybe you have the same, but I, you know, grew up with that at a very young age. And so everything had to be perfect. And if I didn't feel that way, it, it induced more anxiety for myself. But I do think that, that it's funny. You do say the nine-year-old transition because I think it is it's you sort of right before your teens it's that that itchy period of trying to understand your body it's also a period I think as well where you're going from in America I don't know you know what it's necessarily called in the UK but you know you're going from middle school to high school and there's a huge transition for everybody during that period of time where you start to feel fearful of what you're developing and how fast you're developing or why you don't look like the person next to you. And in my experience, I would say the first year in my new high school, no, my new middle school that I went to, it's all very confusing now, isn't it? Even though it wasn't that long ago. Um, my new, I went through a lot. My school is all over the place. Cause I then went to homeschool and then I didn't go to school and I went straight in the industry. So, I mean, my, my years are like mudded when it comes to me thinking about those years. Um, but when I was going into middle school, there was one year where I was sort of categorized going into this new school as the fat girl. And, Mm. you know, I felt that, but I was always vivacious and I was always outspoken. And, you know, I didn't let anybody see that it affected me because I was always the one who had lovely friends around me and never made it seem like it was an issue, but it was, it hurt. And then the year after that, I naturally lost weight and I was getting more attention from the boys and I was getting more attention from, you know, just the girls in general and and then dealing with girls and jealousy and that whole situation of me, how, when I was the girl who was just a fat girl, I was always best friends with the boys. And then now I'm the girl that's best friends with the boys who all the boys find attractive. And it was like, now the girls don't want to be friends with me. And it was like that whole thing that I had to understand and had to develop with when I was just like, I'm just being me. That's a lot, Haley. That's a Um, lot. But, you know, I think, so I don't know what your experience was, but being nine years old, identifying that 
And then going into, I guess, your middle school years, what was that like for you? Do you feel like you found a better way to take a hold of your own relationship with your body and just relationship with food as well? No, no. Um, and, and truth be told, I didn't, I didn't fix, oh, fix is probably too extreme a word, but I didn't come to terms with it and manage it until I was 41 years old. So I, in, in actual fact, I was reading something the other day about how if you have periods of time in your childhood, especially that you can't remember, it's your brain protecting you from the trauma. And there's a lot of my school years when I, I genuinely, there is a, there is a probably about a year to 18 months that I, I honestly can't really remember. I think I just kind of got on with it, just just survived, just didn't really didn't really enjoy it. Well, I can't remember it, so I can't really tell you about it. But I know yeah. that there are patches of time from school that I really, really can't remember. I can remember quite painful bullying, um, but I can't remember ever feeling comfortable and always feeling kind of not part of a group or being picked on or what have you. So um, yeah, school is not a great, (laughs) school is not great for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And yeah, I definitely have memories that make me think, I'm glad that's over. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I guess, you know, let's travel a little bit. So after school, you know, was there a place where you started to feel a little bit more grounded in who Emma was beyond just your self-image or maybe understood your self-image to a different degree? I think one of the things that I did that was a first for me was when I was 23 or 24, where for the first time I said, I want to do this. And the thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to become a journalist. So at school, I hadn't been clever enough. So I'd been told when I had originally expressed interest in wanting to become a journalist, I had been told by my school, you're not clever enough. You need to get an English A-level and a such and such A-level. You need to get A or B and you're not going to get that. So it had kind of been, so these are your options, which kind of puts you in a headspace, doesn't it? Of, oh, so I can't have what I want. So I'm going to kind of, you know, pick from the middle shelf and Mm. that sort of embeds And so, yeah, about the age of 23, I remember I was on a trip to New York and it was just one of those things where you walk around Manhattan and for anyone who's been or anyone who lives there, it's an incredible place. The energy is just really quite unbelievable. And I remember I was doing a sales job and I was selling computer software over the phone. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's an honorable profession. But I just had this moment just looking out over Manhattan thinking, the world is too big for me to just do this. Like this can't be my place in the world. And it was actually quite a line in the sand for me to go back home with no money really and say to my family, I I will be living here again for a bit because I want to start from scratch. I want to go and work for local papers. And this was uh, late 90s, early 2000s. I want to work for free for people. I uh, want to start again and then I want to go to school. So I'm going to need your help because I can't put a roof over my head on work experience essentially. But that was, I think, one of the most uh, formative moments for me because it was the first time I was saying, I don't, I'm not satisfied. 
and I want I want to do this. And actually, as you just said, took action to move it forward and not just have a pipe dream. Do you think going to New York maybe opened up a different point of view, though, with your own body image? Or do you think that that inflicted on you questioning it 10 times more? No, I think what happened is that by taking the I, I think I'd always thought that the fact that I was the big girl, I'd kind of worn that uh, identity, actually. I'd kind of felt it from other people. I'd felt it internally, but I kind of wore that, you know, the duff, the designated ugly fat friend kind of I had worn that because I didn't really think I was worth very much and so I guess even though it took a long time for me to figure out the body image stuff I think just getting a sense of self and a sense of worth and self-esteem started with making that decision to say this is the career that I want for the rest of my life so even though the body image stuff did come later it was because I had the muscle memory and I had already flexed those kind of I want this I know I'll better if I do this. I guess it helped me make those changes further down the line. But I struggled going into jobs thinking, I I, I see one of the reasons why I wanted to become a journalist is because every, think about it, all of the protagonists in the movies in the 90s and early 2000s, how many female protagonists were journalists or worked on glossy magazines? Yeah. And that was, I have to be honest, that was part of the reason why I wanted to be one of those journalists, because I just kind of thought by osmosis, I will become thin and glamorous and look like Kate Hudson. (laughs) Well, hey, here's the thing. I think what I hear from all of this is that you were validating yourself in an area in which you knew that you wanted to achieve. And then that started to help you get that validation for your self-image back because Mm. sometimes it's doing it the opposite way. It's not paying attention to what your physical attributes are, but instead what your heart and your mind, your heart, your soul is. And when you can start to focus on all of those and you start to validate yourself there, you actually gain that power into looking at yourself with different eyes. And it can happen quite quickly because you're not focusing on the imperfections that will evolve over time. Mm. You're focusing on the perfections of knowing what you're good at. And then that helps you within yourself. Um, We ever so often, you know, in the body image community and world, and I think you tapped into this a little bit as well, is we judge our bodies for not hitting those milestones. And that's something that I think a lot of women experience. A lot of people that I've had conversations with, was that something, you know, that you felt your body was getting in the way of your success at some point in your life? Yeah. I thought people saw my size before they saw me and what I was capable of. I definitely think that. And I started once I hit the magazine, actually. And I mean, you know what it's like. I was working for a celebrity magazine. I was going to events with celebrities. And I mean, it's one thing seeing famous people on television. It's quite another seeing them in the flesh and kind of getting a sense. I know it sounds weird, but everyone is much smaller in the flesh than you think they are based on what you've seen on the television. And I just went on a cycle of yo-yoing. So I would work out really hard. I would diet really intensely. I would lose weight. People would be like, oh my goodness, Emma, that's amazing. And you'd get all this reflected glory, but then inevitably you couldn't, I couldn't sustain the fitness regime because it was grueling. I remember once I went to see the best trainer in London. Like this is the guy who was training all the big celebrities. And he uh, did a personal training session with me that I wrote about. And I followed it religiously for 18 months and his diet plan and everything. And it was the first time in my life that I'd lost loads and loads of weight. And the amount of positive feedback I got was just incredible. 
But I remember going back for a review and him saying, right, let's do the next, let's put you on the next one. And it was even harder. And I had to tap out because I just couldn't sustain it. I'd done pretty well. I was in my what, late 20s and I'd sustained it for about 18 months. But it just reached the point where I just could not do it anymore. And so I then cycled back out of it. And then I, all of the other things came back where I thought, oh, I'm such a failure. So I beat myself up going on this yo-yo time and time again, every two years. And I can look at pictures from that time and I can tell you where I was emotionally, how I was feeling about myself, whether I'd nearly not gone to that event because I didn't want to be seen. So it's just this kind of ridiculous when I look back on it now, but I kind of understand. I want to have compassion for that person because I was so caught up in how I looked being what my value was. So I thought, well, if I, when I'm smaller, I'll be more valuable. People will like me more. I'll be more successful, but that's completely inaccurate. But that was definitely something that was embedded in my head of the smaller I am, the slimmer I am, the better blanket term I am. Well, I think that that's the whole point of, you know, being able to fight back on diet culture and just society standards of beauty, because you do, you get those affirmations from specific people who are warped in their own mindset that that is what everybody is here to achieve is this perfectionism and this ideal weight. And when you achieve it, you want to applaud them for getting there when in fact, actually it is proven that there are many very healthy, very fit, size 14, 16, and above. I mean, Myrna Valerio, she's also known as the Myrna Vader, is, is an icon of an icon to me. She's a marathon runner that I met doing the uh, I Am Me campaign for Evans. I don't even know how many years ago when I met her, you know, it was a great way and reminder that size does not dictate your health. And many people don't even have that idea. And a lot of people who end up losing weight on a fad diet so quickly are doing it so unhealthy that they are hurting themselves in the long run. And so when you're saying, wow, you look amazing, you're not actually saying, wow, you're taking care of yourself or wow, like your, your wellness regime is so amazing, or your mental health is on such a great space. Like we need to change those conversations. So we're applauding people for their self-growth, their self-awareness and their acceptance in their self, rather than what their physical attribute looks like the last time you saw them, because you never know exactly what you said, what somebody may be going through at that period in their life and what's happening behind the scenes. Rather, you think it's a positive or a negative from what you see that's in front of the scenes, right? Mm. Um, one of the things you also said was, you know, you tapped into this idea of not wanting to go to events because you didn't want to be seen. Well, I think that's sort of what my social anxiety becomes of. Like my social anxiety is very much, I just don't want to be seen. And it's hard to explain it to somebody, especially when you feel good in your own skin. This is something, I don't know if you feel this way or if you've gone to this place in your, your career, or your life. Um, but for me, it's hard to talk to people about my social anxiety and then have them be like, well, aren't you body positivity? Don't you love your body? And it's like, it's not about that. I do love my body, but there's other things that are inflicting on me, just not wanting to be seen. And I can't control this besides take care of myself. That's the only thing that I can do right now is take care of me, but then don't inflict it on making it seem like I'm not comfortable in my skin because I can tell you sure as how I am comfortable in my skin and I love my body, but I have social anxiety and it arises and it happens. And it may be because something else is inflicting it an emotion that's not wanting me to walk out the door rather than 
what the obvious may be that it's because of what you look like. So when you had those periods of social anxiety, you didn't go to those events. What did you do to take care of yourself or what do you do to take care of yourself now? So back in the day, I didn't, I didn't do anything to take care of myself. I just stayed in and was miserable knowing full well. I mean, I'm talking about messaging people just before I was supposed to arrive saying I've been locked into my flat and I can't get out like those sorts of things. And I'm sure people must've got my text and thought what a flake or, or worse. And they've justifiably so, but now, um, now I'm quite, I'm quite good about the social side of things. I know that busy events are just not my jam. I have to know mm. a few people there. I'm not somebody in my wildest dreams. I'd love to be like Ginger from Casino, you know, Sharon Stone's character from Casino, who could just work a room, walk around, smile, make everyone feel magnificent. I'd love to be like that, but I'm not. I'm absolutely not. So if I do go to an event now and with my job pre-COVID, I would go to lots of events with lots of lots of people, fellow journalists and what have you. And I can get the sense of a room within 30 seconds. And I will know whether to just do a polite tour and then bounce or whether I can stay for a bit. And I think it's just picking up on your spidey senses and knowing when it's right. Sometimes it's about the room and it's like, I'm not equipped to deal with this. This seems like quite um, a high energy or I don't know, you know, it's like sometimes you think maybe you're being judged by certain people in the room or, or things like that. If I get a sense of that, then now I just leave and I don't feel bad about it because I do. It's it's flipping your mindset. And that's been something that's been very useful for me with my mental health overall mm. is that previously I would have stayed at the event and tried to enjoy it, but I would have been like gritting my teeth and going, I'm enjoying this so much. And just, I wasn't enjoying it, but I'd be forcing a smile on. So it would come across as disingenuous and fake. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Whereas, no, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, see, you're smarter <laughs> I than I was. I was out a, lo- a long time ago. I'm out. I've always been out, no matter what. I've, I've, if, sorry, go on. No, no, I was going to say, yeah, I think previously I wouldn't have wanted to leave because I would have seen that as, as copping out, as failing, as uh, doing something bad you know, oh, I can't believe you left that event after five minutes. You didn't even give it a chance. I would, I would be my own worst critic. Whereas, and so, and I would spend the whole taxi journey home or the whole train journey home telling myself that. Whereas now I probably do what you've been doing forever, which is I'm going to get home. I'm going to take my contacts out. I'm going to take my makeup (laughs) off, take off my bra. And I'm going to watch the real housewives of wherever. And I'm going to luxuriate in that. And so now, yes, I do. I flip it. So it's exactly the same set of circumstances but now I flip it and say, oh, this is, this is me doing something amazing. And it's the difference between having a negative attitude and having a positive attitude. And it can be unhelpful to say you can think yourself positive because when someone's really struggling, that ain't going to help. But when you are in a position where you can make a decision, you can, you can enforce that kind of thinking and say, well, you can see this as a bad thing, or actually you could see it as the universe working in your favor and kind of take ownership of it. Yeah. And I think that it's just about being able to feel grounded in the power of, of what you're there for. Right. So it seems like you were there for these events in a different aspect than possibly than I was there for those events. Right. But you were still there to do a job. So Mm. it's a job at the end of the day, you show up, you do your job. And if you're ready to leave because you don't want to be surrounded by a specific energy that's still lingering around you, then get up and go. And you have every right to, you know, be professional and then take care of yourself, whatever that means. And if that means taking care of yourself, by staying at the party and having a couple drinks and, you know, meeting the next love of your life. Awesome. Do that. (laughs) But whatever feels good to you. And I know that for myself, I've always looked at events as another extension of my career. 
And so being able to do what you need to do and then to, to go, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to get on with the show and, and go take care of yourself. So I love to hear that. Obviously you've learned that over time and that it doesn't come easy. I think it's a trial and error and it's also finding the power and the value that you have for your own self and not feeling like it has to dictate because of what others may be doing mm-hmm. and how others are, are, are doing the same profession, but doing it differently. Right. Cause we all have, we all have very similar professions, but we all have different special parts of what we bring to it and how we go about it. Um, I want to tap into, you know, you obviously being the beauty editor of OK Magazine for 10 years, because if I'm looking back 10 years, I think you started what, 2003, I think it was. If you're looking at OK Magazine 2003, there were a lot of controversial covers, you know, a lot of controversial covers that came out that, and this is for any magazine. It wasn't just okay, but I'm saying just in general, there were a lot of controversial covers that came out just saying like Brittany lost, you know, 15 pounds here. And how did she do it? No libo, you know, no pills, no nothing. So I'm curious how that inflicted on your own sense of self working at a magazine and seeing those coming in and out on a, what, a weekly basis, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, right? Yeah. yeah. Which must have been um, hard, hard to grasp. Yeah, I absolutely. And I was always the woman who would look at magazines. I was obsessed with magazines from an early age. And if I saw a cover line that said, lose 10 pounds in two weeks, you can bet I was buying that magazine. And I mean, right. you know, those pullouts with the the exercises, I'd be on my the floor of my apartment trying to do some sort of Tracy Anderson by diagrams because I thought, well, I see her clients and they look amazing. So if I just do these three exercises tonight, then I'm going to, I'll be on the way. And obviously it's it's not accurate. And then, then there's things like airbrushing. And then you're absolutely right. There's the beach photos, the paparazzi pictures where you see somebody and you ridicule them perhaps for not being, for looking how they do when they're on stage. And then there are the pictures where they've been prepping for an album release and they look incredible. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a, well, there's a popular expression. It's a it's a big, um, I want to say it's a head fuck, but I don't know if that's okay. No, go for it. <laughs> Yeah. So it's a head fuck, isn't it? When you, it's like, they get uh, criticized how they look on the beach. They get um, absolutely celebrated for looking how they do on stage. And yeah, I felt really susceptible to it. And when I was on the magazine, I used to do the fashion as well. And I used to do shoots. So I'd be on shoots with celebrities. And I mean, I would look at the clothes and just think, and I'm sure you've been on many shoots where you get there. And the first thing the studio puts on sometimes is that's like a breakfast full of all these wonderful pastries. And I would just think, well, it's not for me. I can't have that. How on earth could I eat that in front of such and such a model who is five foot 10 and absolutely tiny. So it kind of gets you from all angles when you work in the industry, I think not Mm -hmm. just if you're a magazine reader, but when you're actually behind the scenes as well, it doesn't soften it It kind of makes a little bit harder a blow. I think magazines have a great influence as to, you know, what a younger generation necessarily looks and aspires to be. And I think back in the day, you know, it was very much so black and white off mm-hmm. of what is accepted and what's not. And even just in the sense of, of what my podcast talks about, what your podcast talks about in the sense of mental health and showing that, you know, uh, celebrities, if you may say, are humans too, are people too, right? At the end of the day, there's always going to be a fluctuation of of their lives, how they evolve and and where they want their privacy to be, to be kept to themselves and what they want to be able to share public. And and um, it's horrible, horrible when you think of how 
how people glamorize people's struggles through different magazines, especially the ones that are on the beach things. It brings me to this, you know, it, it, very different, but I just went to Mallorca, of course got popped in my, my swimsuit, mm-hmm. felt amazing, looked amazing. <laughs> I think I look fucking phenomenal. Excellent. And you know, but I had a very, uh, I stupidly went into the comments. Now, no, you should never go into the comments. I don't know why I went in there. I normally never do trust a girl. I normally never do. And I can follow it up with the conversation I had with my partner afterwards. He's like, what the fuck? Why did you get interested? Like what happened here? Um, but I did, right. It happened. Going to be vulnerable about it. Weren't the nicest of comments, probably a good 400 of them. And that's fine. But what it taught me was it wasn't about people saying something negative about my body so much so about that they weren't okay with somebody loving their body the way that it is. Because I read those comments and I got pretty emotional that day. And it wasn't necessarily about the comments in general, but I got emotional because I got emotional thinking that there's so many people out there that want to fight when somebody wants to love their body and says that they're happy the way that they are. And that was the issue to me because on my socials, I don't get any hate. I've never had any, had any trolls. I've been very, very blessed, but you know, damn daily mail, you're always going to get some sort of hate and that's just a part of the game. And that's fine. You know that it also reminds me of how much work still needs to be done in this community, even beyond where we've gotten to. And it's also just a reminder of being able to say to so many people that don't allow somebody else's opinion of what they think is right or wrong on that beach to inflict on your opinion of enjoying your day, especially after COVID. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, have you ever felt a sense of from going to the magazines and seeing those kind of, you know, I don't even know what you'd call them. You you eloquently spoke about it a bit better because I forget what those pages are where they take a bad photo of somebody and they do what how do they was is the before and after? I mean, what is oh, it? I yeah, I mean, there are lots of different magazines have different things for them, but yeah, it's the beach pics and there's the the circle of shame that they used to have in one of the magazines over here where they'd highlight a pocket of cellulite on someone's bum and things like that. Yeah, no, thank you. Bye. <laughs> um, but but it's you know. Have you ever felt like when you were working at the magazine and you were seeing those sort of being produced, did that then inflict your own sense of going to the beach and not feeling like you had the right to look the way that you did and, you know, to feel comfortable in your own skin? Well, the first thing I think is that I was very lucky in the OK magazine back in the time when I worked on it. It was it was very much about we were the magazine that was nice to celebrities. We covered their weddings. We covered their babies christenings and well, what have you of course you. of course so we actually always chose the most flattering pictures when we got a set of pat pictures in so they were always incredibly positive so that was a nice position to be in but i would say that um whenever i had been on holiday i definitely never felt comfortable in swimwear ever and i remember going on holiday with my friend and her little daughter and there were uh, it was a busy beach and i was lying on my lounger stock still with a towel wrapped around me from my under my swimming top down and her daughter said Emma you haven't moved and I said oh yeah yeah no I I don't move on the beach and they're like her mom's getting up and playing you know tennis or you know some sort of racket game on the beach and I was I was on the the, lo- the lounger because I didn't want to move because be, for me walking around in a bikini or a swimsuit 
was just so exposing. And again, I didn't want to be seen. If I didn't want to be seen at a party where I'm fully clothed, it makes kind of no sense that I'd want to be seen in clothing that's similar to underwear on a beach. So yeah, it definitely embedded. I don't know whether that was the magazine. I'm sure it's diet culture. I'm sure it's the patriarchy. I have absolutely no doubt. But yeah, I didn't, I did not enjoy holidays because I did not enjoy being not very, not dressed much. And I don't know if um, any listeners will resonate with this, but I know a lot of people who like me have had their struggles will often say, I hate summer. I love winter. I love roll necks. I love, I love jumpers. I love layers because there's some kind of, there's comfort and camouflage in those sorts of clothes. And I always used to really dread the summer because I would be hot because I would always wear clothes that were too heavy for the season, for the, for the weather, because I would rather be covered up than be cool. Mm. I think, I mean, I think that that's a, it's a very a similar tale. I know that my sister struggled with some of that growing into high school and always having to have a, a sweater, you know, tied around her waist to be able to, yeah. to hide her bum, you know, although she looked beautiful and, and was gorgeous the way that she was. But I think that that the reason why I tapped into magazines, at least in the beginning, is because we have gone such a far way. And the mm. Daily Mail article I'm talking about, Daily Mail was wonderful with me. You know what I mean? They they celebrated my body and said how beautiful it was. And, I, you know, and thanks to them. But I'm not saying it in that respect of like, oh, look at me. It's more of like, look at how far we've come. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful space to see that there are so many magazines, especially OK and where they are today and Daily Mail and all the above that are celebrating people who look different and showcasing that all bodies are beautiful and trying to also inflict that into their readers and their listeners because they know that they have influence to bake it into the bigger movement. Mm. Um, I want to talk about boobs. Sure. Because <laughs> I'm a big bestie lady just like you. And I'm a 36 triple G. So, and I've had these for a very long time. <laughs> They're not, you know, they've been here. And I, I I think I've, I don't know if I've necessarily struggled with this idea of, of my boobs inflicting on my relationship, my body image, because I've always felt like, to be honest with you, my boobs have always made me proportioned well. Mm. It's made me look at my body by going, you know, I really have a beautiful shape because everything's sort of just, it's all fit in the right areas and it's just ready to, to be presented. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know that you have had a little bit of a, a, a different relationship with your bosom being such a big busty girl. And I know the struggles that we can have with our back and so forth and so forth. So I wanted to know if you could elaborate a little bit more on your relationship with having such a big bust. Yeah. So with the weight gain, when I was about 11, uh, my boobs really came in. So they came in early. So I think for anyone who can identify with that, with anyone who got boobs, like proper boobs, I didn't get a training bra. I went straight into uh, for any, yeah, exactly. You go straight into a bra with like thick straps, uh, three hooks minimum at the back. Yeah. Um, and I guess to begin with, I felt a little bit embarrassed because you notice people looking at you slightly differently. You notice certain me like men looking at you slightly differently because obviously you've got um, boobs. And also they had always, they had never been, um, all boobs that are created differently. And they had never been particularly, they wouldn't be ones that I would be comfortable to show people. They were mm. not a great shape. They were uh, they were quite saggy, had big nipples. 
And so I was embarrassed by them, truth be told. And they were also the kind of boob where if I didn't wear a bra, they really hurt. I couldn't, I couldn't even, like if I was in bed in the morning and the doorbell rang, like the postman came early or something, I wouldn't want to answer the door without putting a bra on first, like literally a few mm. steps to the front door because it, it hurt. And I, they really got in my way, but I did start to blame them a little bit. I thought, because they're one of the first things you see and you can hide your waist, you can hide your legs a little bit, but your boobs are kind of harder to hide. And yeah. I mean, like you say, you've got this incredible hourglass figure. I am also hourglass. So in order to show off my smaller bits, you kind of had to wear your boobs front and center. I wouldn't wear drapey stuff over the top because then I would look even bigger than I was. And for anyone who dresses to camouflage, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so for me, a lot of my friends had had breast reductions and uh, they had said to me, it is the best decision that they had ever made. And they wish they'd done it earlier and what have you. And so I started to sort of think, well, maybe this would work for me because I, I ran a lot. I ran half marathons and what have you. And I've still got scars on my back from the um, hook and eyes from the sports bras I used to wear. And I just felt like they got in the way when I was I working. mean, I exactly. can show you my indents right now. Exactly. <laughs> like, the little divots in the top. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, all day, every day, there's no way around it. <laughs> exactly. So I had, yeah, so I was putting up with that and I kind of got it into my head a little bit. I sort of conflated the issue of being overweight with these big boobs. And I thought if I have my boobs reduced, another thing that all of the people that I had spoken to who had had successful breast reductions, they had said they also looked, immediately looked slimmer. So I was like, oh, right. I'll buy that for a dollar. So I did um, in 2019, in the summer of 2019, I spent my savings and I had a breast reduction and it is the best decision I ever made. It really 100% is. And I didn't realize how much my boobs got in the way for me personally. I know that's not going to be the case for absolutely everybody. Um, but for, for me, it absolutely was. They, I realized how much I had to work around them, even just to work out, even just to get dressed in the morning. Oh, does that top go? Oh, I haven't got the right bra to wear with that top. And I know they sound like really small things to then go and have a general anesthetic and a three hour surgery, but it's just not having that thing to worry about. But the, it was a trigger for a bigger change because it's really confronting Haley to have major surgery, spend all your money, take six weeks off to recover and look in the mirror and <laughs> realize oh my gosh, my boobs are so perky and they're amazing. I love them, but holy crap, my ass is huge because it just made everything else. I, I, I guess I'd focused so much on my boobs. I hadn't really taken into account the rest of my body. And it mm. triggered me going down the thought process of, okay, I am unhappy. I don't like being this size. I don't want to be, I don't want to be this way. And so instead of thinking, right, I'm going to go on another diet and exercise regime, because I know they're blunt instruments that don't work. Diets and exercise, a diet has an endpoint. A fitness regime has an endpoint. And so I did a lot of reflection and I really analyzed it and I read a lot of books and I realized that the bigger issue here was what my normal was. And my normal was that I am an emotional eater. And so that meant that I would eat more than I needed to. And I was eating for the wrong reasons. Now there is absolutely nothing wrong. And I don't want anybody to feel like I'm saying they have to lose weight. But for me personally, 
I think I always knew that my weight was a consequence of me not eating in a way that served me. So it was a form of self-sabotage and I really wanted to get on top of that. And don't get me wrong, like I have really good friends in the body acceptance and the body positivity and the body confidence space who I've had this conversation with. And I've said, sometimes I feel guilty about this, but for me, if I had gone down that road and if I had accepted and celebrated the body that I had then, it almost would have been me drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm, I am aware that I have an eating disorder or disordered eating that I am not going to do anything about. And I wanted to do something about it. Does that make sense? Yes and no. Cause I feel like you can accept your body while you're dealing with an eating disorder and, you know, body dysmorphia necessarily. Right. And you can still, um, live a healthier lifestyle. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. Like, I feel like what people's misconceptions sometimes of like body image and body acceptance and all of these things is that we have only good days or we only love our body in this one way, which then stops us to stop evolving and growing into the beautiful human beings that we're going to evolve to um, and brings it back to just even the evolution of just the plus size community in general. I mean, I think it was uh, Crystal Wren who, you know, back in the day, she lost a ton of weight after being known as one of the biggest, you know, most successful supermodels in the curve community. And she lost a bunch of weight and then people kind of condemned her for losing that weight. And it was instead of being, you know, celebrated by saying that you're allowed to evolve with where your surroundings and your life goes, um, it was more of how could you still be in a place of body positivity if you've now lost this weight? So I think that, no, I think that you can still live in, in a beautiful place of acceptance, but still live a healthier lifestyle in whatever way that looks like to you. So it seems like you need to give yourself a little bit more credit in the sense that you did validate a lot of who Emma was to get to where she is today. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely, um, accepted myself, but I, I, I think I wasn't able to accept the body that I was in because I, I did know that I didn't eat in a way that, that was, um, corrects the wrong word, but, um, yeah, it was disordered eating. So I know that was, that it was influencing how I looked and I was really keen to get to a place where I could have, I'm trying not to use words that might be triggering, but I wanted to get to a place where I stopped doing that because I didn't want to self, for me, I very much at the time when I started to go on the journey of speaking to um, mental health professionals about it, I really wanted to understand what was happening. And it it really felt like self-sabotage. And there are lots of different types of self-sabotaging behaviors, but mine was definitely done through food. And I wanted to not have a toxic relationship with food. I didn't want to be scared of a buffet. I didn't want to stay in a hotel and worry what was in the minibar because I didn't think I could control myself or I wouldn't be able to resist opening the hotel minibar and eating everything. That I felt was, that was what was leading me, my body to look the way that it did. And I wanted to deal with, the body was secondary. I wanted to deal primarily with why is it that sometimes you fill yourself up? What are you doing there? Right, right. 
Right. So I think it was, yeah. So, I mean, I think that a lot of the times and what I speak about too is, you know, when your mental well-being is not on the right path, the first thing that can obviously go is, is your self-image and your relationship with your body. So where are you at with your body today? I know that you had an aha moment at some point. Um, I hear Elizabeth Hurley that kind <laughs> of guided you into feeling a little bit more, you know, connected to you. But uh, before we get into that, I'm actually curious just where are you at today with body acceptance and, you know, just the term in general, do you feel more comfortable with being able to identify yourself in that sort of pool or do you still feel a bit of push and shove? I feel it's really interesting, Haley. It's a good question because I think for a long time, I thought that me being comfortable in my body would be a certain weight. And I'm sure, you know, we've all, we've all had that thing. We've got on the scales and we've wanted to weigh a certain weight And now the light bulb moment with Elizabeth Hurley was basically six weeks post-surgery being pictured next to her and realizing, okay, there has to be another way because if surgery is not going to fix how you feel about your body, then it has, the call must've been coming from inside the house. Let's deal with that. And so that was what got me uh, into a positive place, but I will be honest with you now. I am not the weight that I always thought I wanted to be, but I'm stronger than I've ever been. And I have even when I was at uh, when I was on yo-yo dieting, I've definitely been lighter than I am now, but I've never been more comfortable in my own skin because it's having done the work. It's Mm. been finding that comfort with accepting myself and just saying, actually, it's it's the behaviors. Why are you why are you sabotaging yourself? It's kind of figuring out those things. And obviously it's spilled over into other things other than food. But um, tackling those issues means that yes, as a consequence, there has been weight loss, but I feel so strong in my body. I work out in a way that I've never been able to before. I have balance in my life. I have got on top of mental health issues and obviously disordered eating was one of them. So yes, there is, there is definitely a place of acceptance. Uh, I have definitely, I feel as though I've reached a place of acceptance because of all of those things. But I mean, like I said, it took till 41 having my picture taken with Elizabeth Hurley to kind of put those pieces together because it's a really complicated jigsaw puzzle. And sometimes all the pieces are in front of you, but you just don't know how they slot together. And that's how, when I look back at everything, that's how I feel about it. A lot of the time, it's like, it was all there. It was just a case of figuring out where everything fit, fit into place. Of course. And I think that you should allow yourself to take the time that you need to be able to get there, you know, but I feel as if These are hard and tough conversations for everybody to have, especially with themselves. You know, I just had, I look at myself as a unicorn because I had this blessing to get into an industry at such a young age with plus size models to look up to them and say that you can be voluptuous, fit, toned, and, you know, still love yourself for it. And so I had that at a very early start of my life when things could have inflicted in a very Mm -hmm. negative way for myself. Um, You know, I know that you obviously have a lot of these tough conversations and debates with different friends of yours, even on the podcast itself. You know, why do you think that there is still a debate around body acceptance or just body image in general and the way that we look about it in society? It's so it's so interesting because it's probably the topic of conversation that generates the most feedback. And it's also the most polarized feedback. Mm. It's almost as if you've got people who, um, like I had somebody on recently who was, was felt very unwell, had for various reasons, had become very overweight and has written a book about 
how she pieced her life back together by biohacking. And there were various things at play. And that episode actually generated a huge amount of negative feedback because a lot of people interpreted it as she's saying that you must want to lose weight. And that wasn't actually the message, but, and I think that's a a lot of what's going on at the moment is that I have friends who who have really struggled with anorexia and have fought for their lives, literally. And so quite rightly hate diet culture because it was that that triggered everything that started them off onto a really horrendous path. So I have those people, and I really understand that point of view, but I sometimes have noticed that their arguments can be used by people who perhaps haven't had the same experience, who will also bash diet culture for different reasons. So I'm sure that you get this. It is so polarizing. There are people who just say, eat less, move more. It's not as simple as that. It isn't as simple as that. It's such an emotionally tangled issue for people. And women, because of diet culture, because of lots of different things, obviously, whether it's playground bullying, whether it's a magazine, it is a a really emotional tangle for a lot of people to kind of separate how they feel about themselves with how they look and what whether they're a good person or not. All of this gets very jumbled up and confused, but it is without doubt, and it's always a surprise to me, it's without doubt the thing that will generate the most polarized feedback and a lot of feedback with people saying, if you even suggest, I did a podcast recently where I said, is it okay to talk about weight loss? And I did a poll on Instagram. And I think on Instagram, it was something like 70% of people said yes. And in my Facebook group, about 90 people, 90% of people said no. It was so, so interesting that the different platforms threw up different things. But I still can't really quite get my head around it because I'm, I don't dabble in the space permanently. I'm not within the space all the time. My podcast is quite varied. But when I am, I, I feel as though it is such a, um, a fraught terrain because it is such an emotional subject and no one is telling anybody to do or certainly not on my podcast no one's saying somebody has to do something or nobody has to lose weight or nobody has to agree with anybody but I know if you go out there you can find some really um you can find some really quite fractious conversations going on where um it's really emotionally charged do you find that definitely uh, you know, I think that a lot of people, and I think that's why I brought up the article earlier, mm-hmm. um, you know, because like I said, the headline was very positive. The article itself was very positive. It was beautiful. It was like, hallelujah. Um, you know, but then there's obviously people who, um, are online trolls trying to fight against that. And I think hurt people hurt people. That's something that we all know we're very familiar with, Right. Um, But how do we make the change into helping people understand their own value and their own worth? Because if they're trying to project this own idea of them, their sense of self, then it's about being able to cuddle them with love by saying that you are just as worthy the way that you are and that you have every right to celebrate your body in whatever way feels most authentic to you. And when it comes to, you know, diet culture and weight loss and everything that you're speaking about, it hits a nerve for me because I just want Want people to always understand that there's so much power in them loving who they are today, even if they want to get somewhere else tomorrow. And that there's no, there, you know, there's, it needs to be a welcoming community for all. 
And even in the sense of people forgetting that, you know, a lot of people work out for the endorphins. A lot of people work out for the idea of what it makes them feel like, not what it makes them look like. Mm -hmm. And you forget that aspect when you go into a workout class. And I was on Good Morning Britain for a uh, debate that they had about Bristol University ended up banning slogans like weight loss and things that were triggering towards the community um, in the uh, fitness arena. And I was obviously on the side of, of this is a wonderful step forward for, for, you know, just students to come back after a global pandemic to know that they are welcomed in that, that workout class. And that it's not about losing that 10 pounds. It's about getting their bodies moving because movement is one of my three top tools. I always talk about it's movement, mindfulness, and mental engagement. And movement can be something as simple as stretching, you know, early in the morning, just getting your body going, but you need to circulate your blood flow because it actually helps within stimulating your mindset and so much more. And if you don't feel welcomed in a workout class, it's going to make you feel triggered because they're there just to promote an idealistic body size, then why would you step foot in there in the first place? I mean, there's so much that needs to be spoken about just to be able to welcome all different shapes and sizes, especially in fitness. I think, you know, not only from fitness, you know, athletic wear, but also just classes in general. I mean, I've had many experiences in the past being a bigger busted lady, I'll say it this way. I'm very specific, and this is why fashion has always been my number one tool in feeling good in my own skin, but I'm very specific with the workout wear that I wear to go work out in. And a lot of the times it is not workout wear. I am just crafty as crafty can be <laughs> because I'm just making it look cool, suave, and very Rick Owens to say the least. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I wear two, sometimes three sports bras. Yep. I, you know, because if I'm doing a, a spin class, all I'm thinking about is my jubble lovers going <laughs> instead of being able to kick ass. And, uh, you know, there's, it's just about welcoming, right? I say that story just because I want people to understand that if you're speaking about things as prominent as wanting people to get more inclined in their fitness journey to make themselves feel good, not lose weight, feel good, then you need to stop making them feel bad about going to the workout class in general because they're not already at where you think they should be or a slogan necessarily that's going to make them feel triggered to say that that's what my aspirational goal should be. I mean, when you work out, it should be a fun experience of being able to say that I feel good after this class rather than, oh, great, I did this, but now I'm going to have to do another one tomorrow because I haven't hit the goal that the teacher told me to hit. It's like, no, we all have different goals and that's beautiful, but it's the only goal that we should all have that's a, uh, that's a bit of synergy is to feel good and to feel connected to our bodies. Yeah, you're um, absolutely right. And I think I've also been in that position before where I've gone to the gym feeling very out of shape. I've been weighed. I've We've been told, I remember going to a very posh gym in Kensington here in London and it was very expensive and I was writing a feature about it and they weighed me and they were like... <sighs> we've got a lot of work to do here. And I felt so demoralized because I was working out so hard at the time. I was mm. so, so I was exercising every day and to be told essentially you've got the body fat of a pork, pork scratching and we've got a hell of a lot of work to do just made me think, well, what, why bother? I'm, st I'm already working out really, really hard. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I definitely felt very unwelcome. And I think to your point, 
I think it's something about people taking ownership and loving their body that does trigger other people. So there are two instances at the moment. I'm sure you've seen Lizzo. Lizzo has been online saying how much she loves her body, celebrating it just unashamedly, her TikTok, her Instagram. And yet she's just recently broken down about the trolling because people can't bear to let it go uncommented on. And that's just, if you see someone happy, why would you, why, why? Why? If Lizzo was on her Instagram saying, I would like to lose weight. Does anyone have any advice? That's a completely different story or whatever. I'm sure she wouldn't do that. But if she did, that is a different story because she's inviting commentary. She's looking for advice. But to just say, I'm living my best life and I'm so happy. And for people people to comment and say, but you shouldn't because that's just horrendous. Well, that's why we need to have more and more conversations around the idea that you should love yourself and accept yourself for who you are right here, right now. And when you hear more people doing it, so even if people are wanting to fight that back, it's starting to get into the conversation of their mind. And that's all that matters. As long as you are hearing other people and having more different opinions circulate inside you to understand that actually it may be okay to think that way, that's when change happens. Mm. So, you know, the more of us that can come out and say that we love and celebrate ourselves authentically, it will then translate into having other people hopefully look within and to find the power in them. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, Emma, I could talk to you forever and we're probably going to talk another time after this, but I want to leave this episode with a couple different questions that tap into what make you you. So on this podcast, we obviously talk a lot about building our personalized toolboxes which obviously led to our emotional journey. But I want to know, what did you do the last time you had a flare-up or a challenging moment? That's a really good question. And it happened a few weeks ago, actually. Um, I got really tired and I got really frazzled. Because like a lot of people, uh, I have taken on more work over the last 18 months and with with exactly the same amount of resources. And it has been relentless because there has been no break. And so I could feel it, but I didn't action it. And actually I've just recorded a Mm. podcast about this. I, the toolkit that I have in place now that I haven't previously had is that in the past, I would have got to the point of exhaustion and kept going until I broke. And what happened this time is all of the signs were there. I could have listened to them earlier, Haley. I'm not going to lie, but I realized um, about two weeks ago, I went into the weekend and I thought, right, you are doing nothing this weekend because you're tired. You are so, so tired. You're going to sleep in. You're going to go to bed early. You're going to feed yourself really well and nourish your body. You're going to go outside and you're going to walk, but you're not going to walk to meet a step count or to walk at a certain pace to earn any kind of points. You are just going to walk outside, no headphones. You're going to look at the trees. You're going to listen to the birds. And I just had to take it back to the absolute basics. And in actual fact, it took about seven days before I was able to then bounce out of bed again in the way that I had been previously. Like I really had run myself down, but that's something I would always say to people is just 
take the foot off the gas? What's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. And then what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? These can be words, sayings, stories, sort of whatever authentically comes to your mind. One of the things that I definitely felt uh, with going through therapy and uh, things like that is sometimes facing, sometimes you can live in a cocoon where you protect yourself from facing your feelings. And so sometimes you have to feel your feelings, but that can be really painful. So uh, my advice to people or the thing that I remind myself of sometimes is when things are really, really hard, it's because you're making progress. So pain is Mm. sometimes a good sign that you're actually going in the right direction. Not always, but sometimes like nothing, nothing good comes easily. Like if it's, if like, if I didn't have to work for it, I can't, sometimes I'm one of those people, like, I don't know as if I want it, but it just kind of fell in my lap. But um, yeah. Yeah. So I think pain is definitely knowing that working hard and hard work is a factor. I think sleep is something is a lesson that I really, I really live by because good sleep, get your sleep right. And everything works out well. And it's been so lovely here in the UK because, and I live by myself, so no one turns the lights on, but I've been doing recently when I was feeling a bit frazzled, not putting any artificial lights on in the evening and just going to bed when it was just dark outside, pulling the curtains. And my body really loved that. That was what really Mm. got my rest and recuperation back. That was, that was so wonderful. And then I would say one of my other lessons is just surround yourself with excellent women. Nothing against men, but uh, my female friends are an eclectic bunch of absolute heroes. And without them, well, I don't know. They are just absolutely wonderful. So surround yourself with excellent friends and um, yeah, everything will be okay. Well, thank you. Honestly, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you were able to just come on here to share all of your insight and to vulnerably share because I think you shared a lot today. So know that you're supported and that it's beautiful to see your journey and that your journey is obviously still going, but to know that that's okay because our journeys are always going to keep going and that we're always going to learn new things from it. But to applaud yourself to where you were, to where you are today. Um, If anybody wants to obviously continue the conversation with Emma, you can connect with her at Emma Guns on Instagram and Twitter and also her podcast, The Emma Guns Show, which is on Facebook as well. And if you are looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self to always remember to lead with the three m's that's mindfulness movement and mental engagement you've got this and we're here to support you along the way so be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode it's okay not to be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you Some of the topics we discussed today may have been triggering. We talked a lot about body image, so I want to be able to give you guys a resources page that is ready to hear from you. If you're looking for it, go over to www.nationaleatingdisorders.org. Or if you're looking to speak to a crisis counselor right here, right now, please text home to 741-741. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatti. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. 
And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horenige, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice. Do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.